0: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
1: Today, we're going to discuss the future of marketing, tracking, and attribution. Joining us is Harry Moggins, who is the founder and CEO of Clickagy, which is a data intelligence platform that brings new audience visibility to business intelligence and advertising. And today, Harry and I are going to discuss how ad tech can adapt to a cookie-less world. Okay, here's my conversation with Harry Moggins, founder and CEO of Clickagy. Harry, welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: I have to start off by asking you, did I say the last name right? Muggins. You nailed it. Now, before we pressed the big red button and started recording, I said the topic we're going
2: to talk about is
1: ad tech adapting to a cookie world. Can you just tell everybody what your first question was about that topic?
2: I was asking you what cookie-less was.
1: Okay, so we're in deep
2: shit here. The look in your face, though, is amazing.
1: We've got a jokester, everyone. <laughs> Harry's going to bust my chops. Kidding aside, let's talk about the reality. What is a cookie-less world? Give me the update for anybody that hasn't heard, hey, cookies are not a thing. You know, what's a cookie? Why is it going away? What are we going to do? Let's start off at the beginning.
2: Cookies are villainized a lot in today's industry. A cookie is just a simple storage vehicle for an ID. It's like a barcode for your computer or your phone. The cookie is usually either first party or third party. First party being it belongs to a publisher, like a major newspaper, something like that. Third party is for data you don't know. So prospecting data primarily. If you use first party cookies that are not going anywhere, it's good for upselling, cross selling your existing customers, that kind of thing. But if you ever want to conquest or find somebody new who's not in your ecosystem, it requires this third party cookie. And that's what's going away as of, I think, the end of next year.
1: So, you know, we're starting off the top and most people who are listening to this podcast are professional marketers. We have a notion of what a cookie is. In theory, it's something we use to track everybody. The technical details of it. I always thought a cookie was a browser based thing where, you know, it's essentially I have a cookie on my website. You come to my website and Squarespace says, "Okay, we know who this person is. So when they come back, you can change their user experience. When they're third-party cookies, let's say there's a data provider that drops a cookie on somebody else's browser, and it allows them to understand what some of their behaviors are on their platform. The notion of first and third-party data, I get the difference between first and third-party data, but talk to me a little bit about how third-party cookies and tracking work when a data platform drops a cookie on a user's browser. I'm assuming it's a browser, not just the device. You know, are they collecting data about who that consumer is when they're going around the internet? Are they all of their browsing experience? What is collected? What is
2: it? The cookie itself inherently doesn't have the browsing data. The cookie is just an identifier, a number, usually alphanumeric. So the first time an ad tech platform, you know, be it the trade desk or Google or whoever else sees a computer or a browser, the first time they ever see it, they randomize an ID and they stamp that ID onto the browser and they store that ID in the cookie. That way, later, when somebody's browsing a relevant article, they're in an e-commerce store shopping, or later when there's a behavior that's exhibited, the computer can read the ID off of the browser, off the cookie, and the ad tech platform said, hey, we know that guy. We saw him a week ago on this other page, and it can stitch together the user's journey and understand that it's one device doing things across multiple sites.
1: So the cookie's a name tag, Exactly. And... When you exhibit specific behaviors on a web property, the company that dropped the name tag gets to look at it. So the trade desk gives you a name tag. They have the trade desk cookie, and then you browse around the internet and you get to a trade desk enabled site and they get to say, oh, we've seen that person before. Now we know that they visited whatever site they visited.
2: Exactly. And my company, ClickAG tracks about a billion page views per day with B. So we're stitching together users' journeys from across that scale. Whenever we see a person go from page to page to page across their journey online, we'll stitch those together and all these associative data from the page, the intent of what content they're consuming rolls up to that actual cookie and the profile of that person. So it's kind of like a dust wand moving over a shelf As they go from page to page, all those particles roll up and stick to the wand, giving us this really comprehensive and complete profile of what somebody's interested in, what they're in market for, propensities, brand affinities, all that.
1: So talk to me about why cookies are going away. Obviously, this is probably privacy related, but what was the rationale for cookies going away and who are the companies that are driving this change?
2: Cookies have been around since the beginning of the internet. I mean, they've been around forever and they were primarily used for innocuous purposes. I would say in the last five years, maybe, there are some clever people in our industry who realized, hey, we can use this for more than saving a login. We can use this to connect people together across a browsing journey, multiple sites, to unify that experience to a user or a person instead of just isolated within a single .com website. And once that realization happened, it spun off an entire industry that was helping marketers drive better ROI, ROAS, to really start being more performant in their marketing because you understand a prospect deeper. You understand what they're in marketing
1: So cookies were essentially created so I can tell whether you've logged into my website. And the ad tech community basically said, hey, I'm going to use this to understand every website you're going to to profile their consumers.
2: Correct. So it started with just simply tracking people better and getting that profile. The problem with anything in the marketing and advertising world is greed got involved. And when greed gets involved, marketers want better performance, lower CPAs, higher ROI, everything's better, better, better. The status quo is not okay. So the data got abused and got more and more invasive and privacy violations became more rampant and it became so bad that the privacy advocacy groups started realizing what's going on, raising the red flag and shouting, hey, there's something going on here that's pervasive. It's tracking people without their consent, without their knowledge. And that started, eventually, GDPR was formed in Europe, CCPA in California. And the privacy advocates are the ones that are pushing, saying, we need to make a change. This has gone too far. And the death of cookies is the first major step toward a privacy compliant future.
1: Okay. So talk to me about, you mentioned privacy, advocacies, the czar of privacy comes down and says, thou shalt not cookie thy browser, or you know, how did this actually get put into place? And why would any of the ad tech companies
2: comply? So there's two different paths to this. The first half is legislative. I mentioned GDPR, CCPA. You have the Australian Privacy Act. There's regulations popping up around the world trying to block invasive tracking. But the more important half is you have companies that are trying to win over the hearts and minds of users by saying they're privacy compliant, like Apple. That became their primary marketing message was we respect your privacy. And other ones are starting to follow suit. And they can't say, we respect your privacy, if they have technology that enables this kind of trap.
1: So Facebook hasn't come out and said that yet, have they?
2: I was actually watching Mark Zuckerberg's testimony, and he was saying that Facebook's not dependent on third-party cookies, because the majority of their revenue, the vast majority, is 95%, comes from in-app or from in their own walled gardens, where it's all first-party cookies. So they're surprisingly not impacted by this very much.
1: I saw a hilarious video of the testimony that somebody had mashed up and made a fake where Mark Zuckerberg was going through the House Judiciary Committee hearing and the video spliced together made it look like he was in the back of his backyard describing how he was slow cooking a brisket and how it was delicious. Obviously, it was a mashup and a fake. That said, uh, you know you never know what you're listening to or what you're seeing today on the internet. It's true. Let's get back to talking not about brisket, but about cookies.
2: <laughs> and then on, um, what was it, Jim Simpson-Brenner, I think is how you pronounce his name, asked Mark Zuckerberg about a Twitter policy. it shows the DC, you know, they, looking at Facebook and Twitter is the same. There's a lot of confusion there. So privacy groups make a lot of noise, but then it's up to the industry to, you know, actually push forward in the best interest of consumers.
1: Yeah, so I was making a joke about Facebook being privacy compliant. Sure, they get most of their data from first party sources because everybody's on Facebook all of the time. That said, okay, privacy groups are pushing and saying, hey, cookies shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be tracking third party data or you shouldn't be allowed to track somebody's behavior across the internet just because they come to your website once. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Which begs the question, well, what the hell are marketers supposed to do? How are we supposed to know who's who and run our marketing campaigns?
2: That's something we've been struggling with, right? I mean, our company is, you know, we're one of the largest behavioral data companies, and at least in the U.S., not globally, based on the scale of data we're processing. And up until about a year ago, our entire company was built on third-party cookies. So this is hyper-relevant to our own company. And our necessity for innovation was driven by survival, right? We built a product that helps marketers outperform any other media they're running because at the end of the day, the targeting data is the most important part of a media campaign. If you serve an ad, it doesn't matter how good your creative is, how good your ad is. If you put an ad in front of a person who's not in market, they're not going to buy. That's just common sense. So if you have... A person who is relevant—they're in market, they've been researching it recently—and then an ad serendipitously shows up in front of that person. Well, now you're in the game. Now you have a chance to convert them, to engage them, to get them to go through and buy. So the targeting data is the most important part of a campaign, and built on third-party cookies, we realized that's going to be a challenge to our business. So about a year ago, I kicked off kind of a Skunkworks team in my company to go out and investigate the options, and we found a couple major options in the market, but nothing really worked for our needs.
1: So is the idea here, all right, fine, we can't use cookies. We're going to come up with another tracking methodology that lets us understand who is exhibiting what behaviors broadly around the internet. And we'll just use a different tracking methodology. Or is it that we really shouldn't track people around the internet unless we have express consent? It seems like the privacy people are going to say, don't ever track anybody and don't track them without consent. And you know, obviously that's one story. And then the marketers are saying, hey, we can't market, which means that products and goods are going to get more expensive because we're going to have to put more money into finding our customers or businesses are going to start going under. Help me find the line there between what the marketers are saying in terms of what their costs are and between what the privacy folks are going to say in terms of people's need for privacy.
2: Data is not going anywhere. You know, it's a hundred billion dollar industry in programmatic. There is, I'll probably say five to 10 billion of that easily is defensible in the data piece alone. People are saying, well, let's go back to contextual. Well, that's garbage. Contextual sucks.
1: Tell me what you mean by contextual.
2: Contextual being only targeting pages where you have a keyword that's relevant on the page to your ad. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to sell a life insurance. You only target ads to pages where the word life insurance appears on that page. Mm-hmm. That's how the internet used to be. 2005 contextual is king. That was the evolution of marketing from buying all the ads on a specific site. Contextual is the intelligence for marketing. Well, then data grew out of marketing because you realize something. If you're buying ads on the life insurance page, there's a lot of competition from all the insurance companies. So CPMs go through the roof because it's highly competitive on that one page. Right. But then five seconds later, the person flicks over to read Dilbert and comic strip and there's no competition. So CPMs and cost to buy the ad, place the ad, there are pennies. I
1: don't know the comic book industry these days, lots of advertising.
2: I uh, know because of data. So what happens is when you have an insurance agency, they, instead of paying $20, $30 CPM, they're saying, I'm going to forgo the highly competitive short tail. I'm going to target the guy 30 seconds later when he's on Dilbert for a dollar. It's still the same person who was in market 30 seconds ago. Nothing's going to change in that 30 seconds. So the efficiency of the ad, the effectiveness is virtually identical, and you're able to have a much more efficient ROI in your media campaign. So data works. Behavioral data works. It's not going to go anywhere. The tracking side is a whole other conversation, and we have our own perspectives on the privacy side. I think the industry has gone too far. personally.
1: Well, let's talk about the tracking part first. We'll get into the privacy stuff tomorrow. When you're thinking about tracking, if we can't use a cookie the way that we did, what do we do? Are, are we pixeling? Are we calling it a schmookie? You know, what's the next step? How are we actually going to collect data and hopefully be privacy compliant as well? We will tackle the privacy stuff. I promise And all you privacy honks that are listening to this podcast, we'll get there.
2: I like the schmookie idea. You should trademark that. <laughs> I think you have something there. Done. <laughs> so I'm very passionate about this topic. I don't believe that people should be tracked on a one-to-one basis, right? It's been tried. It's been abused. And the competitors in the industry to us right now that are actively trying to work around the cookie going away, there's some identity-based solutions where they replace this anonymous alphanumeric cookie ID with your email address or your phone number or something way more invasive than a cookie and way harder to scrub than clicking the delete button, Right. I don't believe that's the future. Now, they have consent and they get opt-in and you click the button saying, I agree, but it's not informed consent. So that's a whole other Pandora's box. The other technology for tracking is probabilistic, where they try to stitch together first-party cookies and predict who is what cookie. It's kind of a smoke and mirrors type technology. I don't personally subscribe to that. They have some buy-in, but I think if you're trying to track a person one-to-one, it's gonna be stopped. Somebody's gonna say, this is just a replacement for the cookie and it's gonna be the next thing they hit. So we took a different approach. We don't want to go all the way back to contextual, but we don't want to do one-to-one privacy invasion. So we created a concept called privacy clusters, where it's a technographic grouping of about four or five devices on average. And those devices get grouped together as a single, call it a virtual cookie. If any one of the devices in that cluster hits a page that's relevant to life insurance, talking about earlier, the whole cluster gets associated with life insurance intent then the DSP can target the cluster as one cohesive unit, serving ads to all five or four devices equally without knowing which device is the one who did the behavior. So you're hitting four or five times the number of devices, but the person who did the intent, who actually went to the page, is seeing the relevant ads in a one-to-one experience while his privacy is protected the whole time. Now, in reality, you serve four extra ads that are not relevant. We'll call that branding. But because now we're competing in an arena that doesn't have cookies, competition is so low, the CPMs are pennies on the dollar. So we can serve four or five ads for the same price as a single cookie-based ad, making it cost-neutral, privacy-compliant, and targeting the person with that relevant behavioral intent-based ad without ever touching cookies.
1: Basically, you can create a cluster that is my iPhone, my laptop, my iPad, and my watch, and my question is, how are you grouping these devices together to figure out what a cluster is? Because in theory, you could just take the same person's devices and lump them all in a group and hey, you're still targeting me as an individual person.
2: So there is no concept of a human. It's only the devices and the devices mathematically have a tendency to group towards similar types. So if you have an iPhone, the cluster is probably going to be mostly iPhones, if not all iPhones. Windows computers, probably mostly Windows computers. So unless you have five iPhones of the exact same type of device, it's probably not gonna be you. And also it's within it, we call it a geo block, it's about a one mile radius period that we isolate the devices within. So it's probably gonna be your iPhone, a neighbor's iPhone, a guy standing outside of his car at a gas station down the block, his iPhone, and then an office building behind the woods behind your house, an iPhone and one of the random employees. That would be the cluster. But the cool thing about it is once the cluster is identified mathematically, that cluster is persistent, Mm -hmm. which means all those five devices are always in that same cluster. I had phone problems recently. I had to do a a factory reset on my phone. When I turned it back on, it's about a month ago, I turned it back on. The first thing I did is I went to ClickAge's platform and I said, all right, what am I in market? What are my segments? And I was still targeted with the same in-market segments my phone was as before the factory reset. There's not a single thing stored on the phone, no cookies, no local storage, no tracking of my single device, but I was still one of those five. And the cool thing about this is it works in absolutely any legislation under any privacy, GDPR, CCPA, because it's a group. It's not a single person. All of these laws for privacy are written about one-to-one, protecting somebody's PI or PII. The privacy cluster technology is a small group of people there's no consent there's no opt out it's just it's like targeting a zip code just a little more zoomed in
1: interesting so i understand clickagee's thought for how to continue to use marketing data in a post cookie world outside of clickagee's as a company's individual response what do you think the impact is broadly on marketers when cookies go away i'm assuming cpm's are going to rise i'm assuming that conversion rates are going to dip Talk to me about what you think is going to happen when we you know, say, okay, it's January 1st, 2021. What's going to happen?
2: I think the marketers who plan ahead using Privacy Cluster or any kind of cookie-less technology, they're not going to see much of an impact at all.
1: Sounds like based on the cluster technology, your ads are going to be one-fifth as targeted, right? If you're targeting five devices and one person's in market, four people are not.
2: Yeah, but your CPMs are much lower. So your CTR will go down a little bit, but your CPA is the same.
1: So ad relevance broadly will go down, right? The consumers will see less relevant ads because they're going to get targeted because the guy that lives next door to them is in the market for life insurance.
2: Ad relevance will go down, correct. I think marketers who don't make the change, who are sitting on cookies, being naive, waiting for the inevitable to come, waiting for somebody to solve it for them, they're going to be in major trouble. When 2021 comes along to the end of it, if they're not prepared, their campaigns are going to crash and burn. CPAs are going to go through the roof. I think the future of ad tech is cookieless. It just it is. There's no way for it to be a cookie-based future. And right now, there's a handful of technologies that are trying to emerge as the dominant leader. I think it's going to end up being a blend of a couple ones. Right now, you know, obviously I'm in an echo chamber, but we're seeing us and LiveRamp as the two kind of Coke and the Pepsi of cookie-less technologies. And uh, I have a whole laundry list of benefits on my side, but I'll spare you guys the marketing spiel.
1: <laughs> I don't want to get in the head-to-head comparison. We'll have to get somebody from LiveRamp on the show to debate the technologies and platforms.
2: So LiveRamp is a great partner of ours too. We do a ton of business with LiveRamp. We're going in jointly into a lot of big opportunities, and then we compete in other areas. It's the frenemy aspect of this whole industry.
1: That's just the way of the world these days. Your competitors are also your marketing partners. Oh, yeah. Harry, I appreciate you coming on the show and walking us through what a cookie-less world will look like. Let's bring you back tomorrow, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the need for privacy-compliant solutions. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Harry Moggins, founder and CEO of click for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Harry and I are going to discuss the immediate need for privacy-compliant marketing solutions. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Harry, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Moggins, H-M-A-U-G-A-N-S. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Clickagy.com, C-L-I-C-K-A-G-Y.com.